0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Titus 2. What exactly does God's grace do? Maybe the first answer that comes into your mind is it saves us. And that is true. That is gloriously true. By grace, you have been saved. You were dead in your sin and your trespasses, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So if the first thing that pops into your mind when we ask, what exactly does God's grace do is saves us, that is not at all a bad place to start. But here's what I want us to see in Titus chapter two today. That's a bad place to finish. That that is not all that God's grace does. And we sell the scriptures short, we sell the gospel short short when we don't also talk about the other ways God's grace works. God's grace saves us. And as we will see today, God's grace also trains us. It transforms us. It teaches us to live a different way that we used to live. In Titus 2, starting in verse 11, it talks about God's grace. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that's where we're like, yeah, great. That's, that's Ephesians 2. And it is. And that's amazing. We should never uh, get over the stunning reality that you and I can be saved because of the grace of God. But look at what it goes on to say. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, there we see God's grace brings salvation as it has appeared in Jesus Christ, but it also trains us. It trains us to stop doing certain things and to live a different way. And so that's what we're going to focus on in our reading today. God's grace should change our lives completely. And even as we get into that, it's good for us to see we need to think biblically. That's why I'm glad you're reading through the New Testament, and I want to encourage you to keep reading the Bible. Specifically, I want to encourage you to keep reading the whole Bible regularly because we need to be biblical in our thinking. We need to be precise. Too often, I think we start theologically... uh, acting more like pendulums, where it's like, well, we know there's a wrong extreme over here, uh, an extreme in this case that would teach that we're saved by our works. And we know, whoop, nope, that's not true. And so we are tempted perhaps to swing to a place where it's like, God's grace saves us. And that's true. But if that's all we emphasize, we are not really saying exactly what the Bible says. We don't want to be pendulums We want to be precise in how we handle the Bible. We want to not only be able to explain, well, God's grace, well, our works don't save us. God's grace does. That's true. But there's more to the story. If we understand the Bible, if we read the whole thing, God's grace will change us. It trains us, it says, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, how does it do that? There could be a variety of ways to answer that question. But I think one way that grace trains us is in the forgiveness that we see in grace. And even in Ephesians, it's more than just forgiveness that we receive from grace. It's a resurrection that we receive from grace. We are raised to a new life with Christ because of his grace. And so now our eyes are opened to see that sin, and to be specific here, ungodliness and worldly passions aren't good things that God in his strictness is trying to keep us from. These are bad bad things that God in his benevolent, gracious goodness is trying to keep us from, right? When you understand God's grace, it's going to transform you. It's going to train you. No, ungodliness and worldly passions are bad and destructive. And I want to stay away from those things because God God's grace has shown me forgiveness. God's grace has shown me the truth on how to live. And so I want to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in the present age. Another thing we need to comment about grace is that not all grace is in the past. We think of God's saving grace. We think of the grace that has been shown through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his saving work among us, but there is more grace yet to come. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing. So the grace of God appeared past tense in verse 11, but now we're waiting for the future tense, the future appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're waiting for him to return. And it goes on to describe more of what Jesus has done, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And there even, I want you to see this change in your life. This is Part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. Uh, This is not some like extra add on. You know, it's not like the gospel is just forgiveness. And then, hey, would you like to add on living a righteous life to that? You know how you get that sometimes when you buy something and it's like, oh, would you like to add on this feature and add on that feature? No, a changed life is not an added on feature to the gospel. It is inherent to the gospel because Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good work works. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so you could live a different life. And he's coming again to to finish that process, to end all things. So I hope this inspires you and gets you fired up to say, yes, God is gracious. And I want to live for him. I want to live in righteousness and in uprightness and godliness and self-control. And I want to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions because God's grace has appeared. Now, how's that going to look? Well, now let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and you'll see another thing on that same theme. First, he tells Titus as a pastor what to do. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, or there you should see a connection really back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 where he talks about being an apostle for the sake of the, their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So right knowledge, right doctrine, there's a way of life that accords that that goes along with that, that fits with that. So there you see even a pastor is being told uh, don't just teach uh, the right truth, obviously, do that. Teach what the scriptures say, but also show people and teach people what goes along with that. What kind of life goes along with that? And and that's what ultimately leads then to what we saw in verse eleven. Another reason why why should we teach people to live differently in light of the truth? of the gospel and the truth of right doctrine because that's why the grace of God has appeared in the first place. And that's what Jesus who we're waiting for to come back is all about in what we have done. So now though, we will see some specifics. He then goes into a long list of specifics of these are the kinds of actions. These are the kinds of character traits that go along with good doctrine. And you see here, he talks to the older men, and then the older women, and then to the younger women, even implying that the older women should seek to, t- to pass these things on to the younger women. And then he goes on to the younger men. And then he talks some more specifically to uh, Titus there. And then he finishes by talking about bond servants or slaves would be perhaps a better translation there. So one thing I want you to do is well, which Which part of this passage do you fit into? Well, everyone listening, you're either a man or a woman. I'll let you decide whether you're older or younger. But even if you do feel like you are in the younger category, I would encourage you not only to look at what it says to the younger women or the younger men, I would encourage you also to look at what it says to the older men and the older women with eyes on, well, if if that's not who I am right now, that's what I probably will be someday if, if God allows me to keep living on this earth so that's what I want to be in the future and those are the things that I should aspire to and I want to encourage you to spend some time looking at this list and really thinking about what is it telling me if you're a young man it gives you one thing to be self-controlled which interestingly enough is also mentioned to the older men also to the young women, and also that is one of the things generally talked about later in the passage uh, to describe one of the things that we are uh, doing in response to renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. This is how we're now supposed to live, to live self-controlled. And think of how that's been a theme even in the pastoral epistles. And we also see that in 1 Thessalonians this idea of controlling your own body, I think two prominent ideas that come out on that idea of self-control uh, are controlling your body even in the, the context of sexual passion, uh, that we are to live self-controlled in that way, controlling our minds and our bodies when it comes to purity. Another thing I think we see coming along with that in Scripture is self-control um, in response to frustration or anger. There, there, there aren't violent outbursts and profanity, and just losing our temper if we are self-controlled. And he highlights that for the younger men, but again, that's highlighted for the younger women and the older men. So. Uh, That is probably then about 75% of the people listening to this podcast. One of the words it gives you is self-control. And if you're thinking, well, I'm an older woman, it doesn't say self-control to me. Remember that it's used really generally in verse 12. So I've just talked about one of the traits, but I want to encourage you to look specifically at where you are. And even one last thing to point out, look at verse 10, It's, it's talking to slaves but what we see here, that it's saying to slaves, is something that could apply to any of us because it is saying that by their actions, by following the instruction that Paul is giving to Titus to pass on to them, uh, in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior, or of God our Savior. So there we see again this idea that right teaching, right doctrine, should lead to right living. Those go together. And that right living actually adorns, it makes the right teaching look good. It demonstrates the truth and the power of the right teaching. So I hope you understand things better today. I hope maybe you have more clarity in your mind that God's grace saves us. It forgives us from our sins, but also part of that package is that it changes our lives. And I hope if you're reading through the New Testament, you start seeing that clearly over and over again in so many of the books that we read. But also, I hope today sharpens you in some specifics as you look at these specific instructions to specific groups and seek to follow um, what God is telling you to do so that we may all Make the gospel look good, that we may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.